I'm Sean Eckford, and this is Coast Reporter Radio, your audio companion to the Coast Reporter, newspaper of record for British Columbia's lower Sunshine Coast. Advanced voting has started in Powell River Sunshine Coast and across the province in an election where the results may be longer in coming than we're used to. Some 7,800 voters in our riding have requested mail-in ballots. That's up from just 114 in 2017. And that could be enough to keep us holding our breath until the final count in November. Today, we're continuing our feature interviews with the three candidates for MLA with NDP incumbent Nicholas Simons, who's seeking a fifth term. Nicholas joined us via Zoom on the morning of October 15th, so our conversation does not reflect anything that's happened on the campaign trail since then. I'm here with editor John Gleason, reporter Sophie Woodruff, off on assignment today, and we're joined by incumbent MLA Nicholas Simons, running for a fifth term as the NDP representative for Powell River Sunshine Coast. Good morning and welcome, Nick. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Welcome, Nick. Thanks, John. So um, I want to start off uh, just by talking about the fact that this is your fifth election race here, but this is the first time you're running as an incumbent on the government benches. And that means you have, you know, not only your personal record as an MLA to defend, you have an entire government's record to defend. And one of the pieces of that record that's come in for most criticism is the fact we're even doing this. Why is there an election? Well, I heard that early on when the election was called, there were people who were concerned about it. But uh, the logic that um, that I think most people realize is the next election would be during a pandemic, whether it's now or a year from now. Um, elections BC was entirely prepared. Uh, there was talk of an election for a long time. In fact, you know, since January, when Dr. Weaver left the Green Caucus, from my understanding, because I signed the Green Agreement, uh, we were expected to deal with the three Green MLAs as one caucus, and that ceased to be the reality in January. So I think we managed to hold it together and keep working positively for the most part. Um, but it was clear that the Premier was interested in getting a mandate for um, what will be a steady uh, recovery um, as we continue to proceed through this pandemic. And I think it's fair because, uh, to say that it's time to go and ask for a mandate to continue with the programs and initiatives that we've begun and to see clear through uh, the next mandate to uh, you know, continue that process of recovery. So I want to pick up on that uh, just quickly before I uh, turn it over to John, because uh, in response to the questions we sent out for the brief profiles we're working on, you said the biggest question you're hearing is, how are we going to manage the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic? And isn't that the question the government was answering for the last six months, right up until the day the writ dropped when you announced major programs related to that? How? Uh, how is it possible that we're asking that question now? Uh, wasn't there already a plan? Yeah, absolutely, there was a plan. And the question is, do we want as a province to continue on a, on a sound plan that has worked so far? Or are we you know, going to choose some uh, an, another option which seems to be vague and all about just emptying uh, 
government's ability to do anything by cutting every single tax. I, you know, I think that the question is, how are we going to proceed? Are we going to do it with the steady uh, hand of the current government? Or are we going to take a different path? And I think that's fair for the people of the province to decide in, a, in an election that is, uh, you know, elections BC is prepared for. Um, it's uh, as safe as other activities, I guess, that we, we see, do and participate in on a daily basis. So, you know, that, the question is, how are we going to proceed? How are we going to get through this? And I think, I think the answer is clear and the options are there for the people of British Columbia. Nicholas, uh, our, our front page story this week is the the announcement by the Liberal candidate that uh, that her her leader has uh, promised uh, fifty million dollars towards the first phase of a highway bypass between Gibsons and Seashelt, which, uh, as you know, is is a somewhat controversial uh, topic here. Uh, not everyone wants it, but certainly uh, many people do. And there was a petition that went to the legislature with 6,500 signatures uh, in 2019. As you're well aware, you were with them, and uh, so it's, it's a large, a large amount. It's the first, as as I say this week in the editorial, it's the first uh, major uh, promise specifically targeted to this riding that we've had uh, from any of the parties. Um, comparing it to what. Your, which your government uh, announced last month, which will, after the corridor study came out, which was two million towards one intersection uh, improvement, uh, when there was a whole host of intersections and other other issues with the highway that were identified, and the highway as a whole from Gibson's to Half Moon Bay was described as collision prone. Uh, there, so there was one intersection Joe Road fix, no no scheduled timetable or even allusion to getting to any of the other multitudinous uh, issues that had been identified in the study. But instead, we'll start talking next uh, next year on on a uh, about a bypass and we'll do some public consultation, even though you're you're transportation minister had made it abundantly clear that she thought it was a complete pipe dream. So Comparing the was, two, was that an editorial, John? Yes, I just gave you the editorial. Yeah. So well, I can answer that pretty clearly. It. You're not stating the truth, John. You know, the fact is the province has contributed over $10.5 million to our highway improvements since 2017. So I know that that's the regular line that we hear from people who are, you know, not happy that we haven't yet built the bypass but you know in order to be prudent with the finances of the province um you know it has to start with identifying the issue and if you read the corridor study it's quite clear that uh you know what they're intending what what the proposal is to put 300 million dollars into a project that could cut five minutes off your travel time to Seashell. So, you know, 13% of the pop, of the drivers from Langdale go directly to Seashell. Everybody else is going in between these small communities. And, you know, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, the, the Liberals' promise isn't politically, uh, you know, interesting. I think it's a bit of a Hail Mary. The My party and my intention is to continue working on basically the ground game to get us closer to a solution that is not just financially responsible but is helpful to the 
to the travel conditions of our highway. And, you know, I think discussing, discussing the bypass around Gibson's is important. I don't think that, you know, the Liberals are talking about $50 million. You know, I think commitment to proceeding with the bypass that is more likely and potentially more probable uh, is a much more prudent way of approaching this. And, you know, the... Yeah, I, I expect I expect the Liberal Party to be, you know, trying to garner attention with promises that uh, their record indicates they're never going to be able to fulfill or won't intend to fulfill. They had 16 years to do something about our highway, and I was asking for for uh, you know attention um, and was ignored repeatedly. This is the first three and a half years we've been elected and we've already got a study that pretty much lays out what has to happen on Highway 101 now and also talks about how we're going to get to the next phase which is to make make things better for people going around Gibson's. So you know there's no detail in their plan. It's like they just pulled that number out of the air and hoped that it would uh, you know gather the attention that they were intending. I, I do have to point out, uh, regards to what you just said, that uh, Claire Trevena, your 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 former uh, Minister of Transportation, her original uh, argument uh, about the highway was that over the past ten years, uh, the the safety improvements had been very significant, and and when she wrote that, it was not that long after your your party took took government, so she was basically saying the Liberals had done a pretty good job. Um, and uh, I, the only major uh, project I can think of uh, that has happened uh, since since uh, since your your uh, party did take power was the Lund uh, portion of the highway, which I'm sure was necessary. But that was probably the major project, wasn't it? Well, you can characterize it as the major project. Um, you know, that was two and a half million dollars. Uh, we've already had uh, we've had. Um, number of resurfacing projects you know they're not the flashy thing that you know everybody can say oh look what we did we've you know but ten and a half or 10.5 million dollars on on highway resurfacing on improving uh you know this is not regularly scheduled maintenance but you know i'm not at every every asphalt paving uh event cutting a ribbon it's this is uh, important government work using uh, expertise that we have uh, on improving highway conditions. You know, I'm not satisfied with Highway 101, obviously. Like, I live here, I, I, family and friends are here, and I, I share the frustration. So my commitment is to continue to work towards, uh, you know, ensuring we have active transportation options, that we have good uh, highway transportation, you know, ferries as well. I'm sure we're going to get to that. But, uh, you know, to characterize just because we haven't had some you know, major, um, you know, showpiece uh, highway improvement doesn't mean that things aren't getting done. We're, you know, steadily working on the highway. And I know it needs a lot of, I'm on it all the time. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of things that I would suggest improvements on, and I'm not a highway engineer, but. So that one intersection for next summer is what we can expect for how, how long into the future. What about all the rest of those intersections and segments and passing lanes and, and the Gibson's uh, bypass that you mentioned? We're talking tens of millions of dollars. So uh, do you, uh, what, yeah, what, I, do you I that agree. rolling out? I agree. I think that uh, now that we've identified some of the, the key spots and Joe Road is one of them, 
Um, down at Pine Road is another one. We have uh, passing lanes projected going northbound. Or, um, and I, I, I think that those are all have been identified. Now we know, now we know what we have to deal with. So I think, you know, the, the basis of good government decision making is based on uh, evidence and um, the, the, highway, the highway expertise of Parsons company was, was what we asked for. Now we have it. And I think, you know, Joe Road is just the beginning. I can't individually and uh, personally make the kind of commitments to that we're going to do this that that and that because we are competing for scarce government revenue and i you know i think that the sunshine coast will get attention i think our commitment to investing more of our uh, one percent of our gdp annually on infrastructure improvements including roads um, speaks and speaks uh, to me that our government is intending um, to make more commitments uh, on infrastructure and we'll have more cap cap uh, capability to do so. This is on top of the largest infrastructure investments that we had planned pre-COVID. So in addition to the largest infrastructure um, uh, plan, we have more uh, money coming to our, our highways, our schools, our health centers, our hospitals, and I think that's a, a positive thing. So, uh, obviously, I don't want to use our entire time discussing land transportation because, as you mentioned, Nicholas, we do have to talk about uh, ferries. And a, a marked difference from 2017 is, is all three parties don't go into the detail with uh, what they want to do about BC ferries as they had in 2017. And um, I'm wondering, first of all, you know, from your perspective, is this the NDP saying, job done? on fixing the ferries? And if it's not job done, what does come next? Uh, I've never heard anybody uh, hope or think that we'll ever get to job done on the ferries because it's, uh, it's a, moving, uh, a moving target in terms of public policy and uh, there's always gonna be more work to do. But let's put it into perspective. In 2017, um, we, had, we, we had all attended rallies where ferry fares were the number one issue the number one issue. We had rallies in Powell River, we had rallies all up and down the coast, and we had seen an in increase in ferry fares during the Liberal years of, uh, I think, over 105% for Texada, just as an example. The first thing we did in 2017 on assuming office was reduce all four ferry uh, route, fare route uh, on our routes, the four routes on the Sunshine Coast. We reduced all uh, fares by 15%. And to put that into perspective, we brought rates back down to 2011 rates. So that's fairly significant. And I think that needs to be recognized. Not only did we do that, we restored the seniors discount, which had been removed by the BC Liberals, uh, uh, taking away their discount Monday to Thursday. And the other thing that we did uh, was restore sailings, restore actual sailings on the Sunshine Coast routes that had been cut unilaterally by the previous government. We're not just talking about the things that we do, we're talking about an attitude towards a system. And we've restored um, public uh, involvement in BC ferries. We've put that back into the legislation that the interests of communities need to be considered. Now that's not nothing either, but the real issue that we're concerned about is having another vessel for the Langdale Horseshoe Bay route. And 
that being put off due to COVID, that being put off uh, due to other external factors, I think is, is troubling. But during this past summer, let's, let's be fair, BC Ferries did not hire the 450 plus employees that they usually do in March because of the pandemic. And because of that, and because of the training schedule, et cetera, et cetera, they were unable to have enough staff to run uh, more sailings on the Langdale route. And that's clear, that's obvious, and that I think the public of the Sunshine Coast should be fully aware of that, and I think they are. They're also aware that I fought hard to make sure that we had an order that allowed medical travelers to get assured loading. And BC Ferries hasn't been completely uh, uh, clear on the actual policy. The order is the order. The provincial government made an order that if you're traveling for a medical procedure, you should have a letter from your doctor and a tap form. And that's all you should have to have. BC Ferries has complicated matters. I think uh, either intentionally or unintentionally, doctors are under the impression that it has to do with emergency or urgent travel, and it doesn't. So I'm, I'm continuing to uh, work hard on you know, getting BC Ferries to respond to the needs of our communities. Uh, if you think you're frustrated or other travelers are frustrated, I'm frustrated. This is, uh, this is something that we've had to deal with since 2005 until 2017, we saw fares increase and service reduced. Since 2017, we've seen fares reduced and we've seen services not reduced, in fact, restored. So I'd say that's a win. We've also seen traffic volumes go up, and and that 15% uh, decrease was very nice to see, but it seems to be eaten up for most people by the reservation fees that, that are more and more uh, essential if people want to travel with a relative degree of certainty. Uh, what, what about reservation fees? What, you know, every so often BC Ferries throws out the carrot of, of free reservation fees, but they never do it. Uh, is that something that you've, you've been pressing for? Yeah, I meet with Mark Collins on a fairly regular basis and we have a cordial relationship. I've talked a lot to him about, you know, what's the schedule for uh, zero reservation fees, the airlines, the airline model, as they call it. And uh, they say they're working on it. I'd like to see a timetable for that because ultimately that's what you know people are interested in seeing a system that doesn't just gouge you because uh you know you you have to be somewhere with certainty and i i find the the entire reservation system you know a two-tier system i'm against it i'd rather we didn't have or we really limit the amount of reservations to you know a smaller percentage of the deck space originally they told us way back in 2004 or 5 um, that uh, reservations wouldn't account for more than 20% of deck space. And now we see it, you know, you see ferries that are 70%, you know, booked before, it, before the, well, you know, with other sailings before it. So it shows us as residents of the Sunshine Coast that uh, BC Ferries is interested in making sure that they maximize their profits or maximize their income. Uh, the public needs to be, you know, as, as vigilant as it has been. And I think, uh, you know, people, I talk to people about ferries quite a bit. I'd like to bring up um, something, Nicholas, that uh, actually was a point of criticism during uh, the leaders' debate on the part of the people who organized it. There were no real substantive questions around uh, reconciliation and uh, relationships with Indigenous people and First Nations. And, and we know here on the coast, as we have seen things like the dock management plan in Pender Harbor, 
and uh, the foundation agreement, some of the pieces of it rolling out very visibly along our highways and with a potential change, uh, you know, to a name even up uh, in Madeira Park. But I notice in, in the platform, you know, you say an NDP government would move further toward long-term agreements to provide greater self-determination for First Nations, but also um, working more to allow First Nations a role in key decisions on land and resource use allocation. And I think that's the big one here on the Sunshine Coast. How do you see that playing out locally? What does it really mean? Um, you know, does it mean uh, she shall nation complete control over crown forests, for instance, that sort of thing? Well, thanks for the question. It's a, it's a good question. People need to be clear that part of the foundation agreement uh, actually accomplished one of the goals that we as a community have been asking for for a long time, and that's to have a, a land use plan for our for our, uh, our the territory that encompasses the Suya, the Seashelt Nation traditional territory, and the Sunshine Coast in general. So, in fact, a land uh, a modified land use planning process has already begun. And that will provide certainty to the community, to industry, to, to all what we call the stakeholders so that we don't have to, uh, you know, you know uh, argue over smaller matters. We can deal with land use issues as one. You mentioned the dock management plan. I think many docks have been approved already. Uh, that was obviously a contentious issue and it was, you know, I had to deal with uh, what the previous government put in place. Um, I think modifications were made people were in touch with the right people and uh, uh, my understanding is that uh, that process of approvals for docs is 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 going well but let's remember that the entire you know the motivation for for pursuing reconciliation is based on our values that we want to make uh, make right what has been you know a, a, some injustices in the past to put it mildly and the foundation agreement is something that Sunshine Coast residents should be very proud of. Sure, there are contention around name changes. People are attached to that kind of thing. And that's just a, a, actually a minor part of the foundation agreement. It is fundamentally a new a quasi-treaty agreement that the Seashaw Nation and the people of Sunshine Coast um, are going to be participant uh, in together. And, you know, when you have to, you, we have to address tr uh, rights and title. That is something that courts have required us to do. And we are doing it. And we're doing it because not just because the courts have said we had to do it. We're doing it because we have a situation where our communities are, are strong. Our communities um, have uh, established relationships and we can accomplish it. And so I see, I see, you know, reconciliation uh, as a process. And I, I believe that it would be very difficult to criticize the process the progress that we've made so far and I'm quite confident that we'll be able to continue you know with with the voices of all uh, citizens around land use uh, coming to the fore during this process. Nicholas uh, not that long before the election call you were appointed to uh, a chair an all-party committee uh, looking at policing uh, and very a, a very a very topical issue uh, looking at at the role of policing and and uh, I, I'm just wondering, what do you foresee happening if if, uh, if your party is reelected? Uh, do you see that committee coalescing back together with the same, you know, similar components? Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, um, I was really uh, honored to be chosen the, the, to chair that special committee on the reform of the Police Act. Um, and I 
the police act hasn't been reformed so my expectation is that our intention will continue and we will find a way of um, pursuing that uh, reform whether i'm the chair of that committee or not is up to uh, up to the premier and the decision makers uh, in his inner circle uh, i'm certainly willing and able to uh, to uh, push for what we were hoping to accomplish which was a better understanding and better relationship uh, and you know, a, a clearer picture of uh, the role of policing in our society. I would point out that our government, it's not just, uh, it's, it's just one aspect of our intention to address issues around multiculturalism and racism in our province. And, you know, being, uh, having restored a human rights commission, I think, you know, it's again, it's to, to those who aren't, you know, familiar with the Human Rights Commission, it is an important part of ensuring that we have fairness in our society. And uh, I think that, demonstrates the party's commitment towards addressing some of the injustices that have, that exist whether systemic or uh, societal and so I hope that I, I'm quite confident that that's going to continue with uh, all party all party support I want to turn now to uh, another issue that's been very much at the forefront uh, uh, locally since the release of our housing needs uh, assessment uh, we've known for a long time there's a problem with not only the price of housing, but the housing stock, especially for renters on the Sunshine Coast. And, uh, you know, the Liberals have proposed some incentives to get more supply built. What's the NDP going to do to address affordable housing on the coast? Yeah, well, in our first three and a half years um, after, I, you know, I don't, doesn't, doesn't hurt to repeat it. We had 16 years of very little interest in pursuing housing options. And, you know, I'm pleased to to see that uh, not only our our action on homelessness, but our you know efforts to promote um, affordable housing and affordable rentals is is meeting with some success. In fact, you know, you look at the Sunshine Coast Community Services Society; they're looking at building uh, some 30 units for low income. Uh, people or people on disability. Uh, we have had other examples. The Lions Club uh, is is building 104 units of affordable or, or uh, housing on Medusa. Uh, other op, like you know, BC Housing has been, uh, by all accounts, extremely helpful um, as you know, local communities have pursued op opportunities. I think the District of Seashelt is, in fact, um, looking to oh work with uh, work with other agencies to find you know to promote affordable housing. It's an issue that has been on the Sunshine Coast for a long time. I think it's been exacerbated by a number of people moving back to their secondary homes on the Sunshine Coast. Fewer rentals are available because of, uh, you know, the Airbnb and other short-term rental um, uh, businesses. So yeah, it's a it's an ongoing issue. Uh, I think our government's plan on homelessness and then on, on action on affordable housing has been, you know, a, a, a stark contrast to the previous government's uh, lack of attention to the issue. Do you still want to see the speculation tax uh, extended to our riding if it continues? Well, it's been successful in terms of, uh, I call it the vacancy and speculation tax too. It's like we have to remember that the that it was put in place in order to address the you know, the significant issue around vacant homes and the lack of places for people to live, it didn't seem it needed, it wasn't very congruous. So what we did was we put in place a, a system where uh, people pay a little bit more if they leave their house or their secondary home vacant. And I'd like to see 
you know, in terms of fairness, I think that it could be applied to the Sunshine Coast as well. But primarily, I've heard about the you know the the, the home buyers tax, the foreign buyers tax, um, as potentially um, helping out as well. But you know, I I think it comes down to just the need to ensure that developers are have have incentives and I'll, I'll continue to work on that to to build affordable or rental housing stock you know the seashell nation i should just point this out the the provincial government the bc ndp uh, was the first government to just um to to actually invest in on reserve as they call it housing the seashell nation uh is getting a 35 unit affordable rental uh um uh, building on seashell like in fact right where my old office used to be it was the last remaining building on the resident of the residential school where my office was for 10 years it was it was uh demolished and they're building housing there and i'm just so proud of the fact that you know the bc ndp government said you know we we're not going to argue over jurisdiction anymore the housing crisis in the Seashell Nation has an impact on all of us, and we have a responsibility collectively to address that. You know, overcrowding is 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 an issue. Um, substandard quality housing is sometimes an issue, and I'm just glad that our government is taking steps towards uh, addressing that wherever the problem exists. Speaking of First Nations, the Tlamin has been undergoing uh, a really uh, difficult period with uh, the, the pandemic, as uh, I'm sure you're very well aware. For, for them, this must be a terrible time to have an election. Well, interestingly enough, they're having their own election right now in two days. Um, so you can conclude that, John. But uh, I think uh, people know that uh, the Tlamin Nation had uh, has had had challenges. I am in regular contact with the Hegus, uh, Clint Williams. Um, they know that the province and the you know the First Nations Health Authority was there with them. The community was was embraced uh the entire broader community was also uh so supportive of the Tlaaman people as they experienced this very sad outbreak which which came from a a, a funeral so altogether i think that the Tlaaman nation is fully aware of uh of the challenges that the pandemic has brought um the election isn't stopping their election um and i think that you know when we have crises like this, it's important to remember that our democratic institutions like voting um, are important to maintain. And when we start saying that it's, you know, it's a problem to have a vote, I, I, have, a, I have a problem with that. I think it's always important to get the, the, the views of the public. So it sounds like you don't think that it's much of an issue with the voters that the election was called a year before it had to be. Uh, in the, no, no, I would just, I was just, pandemic. I was just going to say that, you know, your premise that uh, the Tlaaman people don't want an election when they're having their own was incorrect, but, you well, know, no, no, will, not necessarily, no, it, it just means it, they might not want a provincial election on top of everything else they're dealing with. Well, you know, some people, I, uh, I, sure. I'm I, I'm gonna I'm gonna play moderator slash uh, a good cop here and, and step in and remind us that we're running out of time. So if we have one more issue we'd we'd like to address, uh, John, do you have another question? That, I, I uh, would like the last. Yeah, I would like the last question answered. N Nicholas, from the sound of it, you don't think that the voters think it's much of an issue that an election has been called a year early in the midst of a pandemic. Um, I would say that uh, 
most people know that the next election in British Columbia was going to occur during a pandemic, unless you think that we won't be in a pandemic a year from now. Uh, not, a, a year from uh, now? You're, you're sure we're going to be in a pandemic one year from now? I think most experts will tell you that it won't be over a year from now. So the issue hasn't been raised recently to me, like as a issue from members of the Pa'ama Nation. Um, I think that uh, people who don't like elections don't like elections anytime. I think uh, the decision for a government to ask for a mandate because an agreement with uh, uh, a caucus no longer is in force or it can no longer be affected. I think it's absolutely a time for the public to to vote. And you know what? The the advanced polling and the advanced uh, the mail-in ballots are surely indicative of the public's interest in participating in our democracy. And I think anything we do that uh, suppresses people's interest in voting or uh, willingness to participate in the democratic process is a problem. I you know we have an election. Uh, the the you know. The premier called the election, and um, as far as I'm concerned, the issues that are before us are the key. Do we want to maintain the steady progress through a challenging time, or are we going to, you know, change course uh, and sort of leave it up to somebody who party doesn't have any ideas other than cutting taxes? So, and that you know, that brings us right back to where we started, and unfortunately. Uh, the end of our time. So in a way, we, we bookended with, uh, with your explanation of why we're having a, an election, but uh, we do have to wrap up now, uh, Nicholas. So I, I do appreciate you uh, joining us and uh, thank you very much. I enjoy it very much. And John and Sean, anytime we should, we should sit and do a little pundit thing, because I think it's fun to have you know, energetic conversations about important issues. So I thank you both very much. Thank you very much, Nicholas. It's fun to be feisty. That's right. <laughs> Thanks very okay. much, guys. Thanks a lot. That's it for the second of our Coast Reporter Radio interviews with the candidates for Powell River Sunshine Coast. We'll be joined by Green candidate Kim Darwin on the 16th, and you can catch our earlier interview with Liberal Sandra Stoddard Hansen in our podcast feeds or on the audio page at coastreporter.net. We've got fresh election news online daily, including a special BC Votes 2020 section. I'm Sean Eckford. For editor John Gleason, reporter Sophie Woodruff, and the rest of the team here at the Coast Reporter, thanks for listening.